0: Father God, thank you so much
1: that you are good and that you love us. Lord, thank you that, that we know that nothing good lives in us that is in our sinful uh, well, the sinful part that lives in us. But thank you that those who trust in you are perfect in you. Thank you that you have done it all. Thank you that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you so much. Father, as we look at this episode from many years back, with people who seem in many ways dissimilar to us, following rules and commandments and instructions that we don't. Lord, may we understand what it is you are saying to them. May we understand from their experience what it means to be your people. May we know something of you better. May our trust in you grow. Holy Spirit, be inspired the writing of this. Would you open our hearts and our minds to understand it today? All scripture is God-given and is useful for teaching, correcting and instructing and training in righteousness, and we want that. Today, by your Spirit, Jesus, would you would you help us to see in these five verses? Amen. Those of you that are uh, here for the first time, um, we oh that's still very loud. We have been uh, looking at the story of Joshua, Joshua, who has been uh, leading the Israelites after the death of Moses across the Jordan River into the Promised Land. We've seen how they crossed over on, uh, at the river was it flood and God put them there at the, like the stupidest place to cross. Because you just can't across there and God did an amazing thing. Something happened, earthquake, I don't know, water stopped and they walked across and as soon as the, the ark came up out of the riverbed, woof, the water starts, the water's back in flood again. Isn't that incredible? And then they go and they attack the city of Jericho and they completely wipe it out with an absolute miracle. The walls fall down. This is God doing it. And, and God said to them, this is, this is my doing. This is my land. Don't, don't think that, that this is your mind. And just to make it doubly clear, everything in that city is dedicated to me. The, the goods, the, the animals, the people. And we saw the problem with, with people being dedicated to God, being committed to God, is that um, it's like dedicating a piece of Paper to a fire. It cannot survive in the holy presence of God. And these are these are not good people. These are people who have looked at God, who have known that God was coming, who knew that God is God, and they say, "We will not accept you, God. We will not accept you as King." Except we saw that there was one woman in there, Rahab, who took in the spies and said, "We know all about what's happening. We know God's giving in this land. I want to be." Make a promise to me that I will be safe. And we hear that this Rahab becomes a member of Israel. In fact, she goes down into the family history of Jesus. This, this Rahab, this stranger who says, Not because I'm any better than anyone else. By the way, you've entered into a prostitute's house. I don't know if you realised, men of Israel. But just so that you know, I want your God. And she's saved, and it's wonderful, and it's amazing. And then we heard about Achan who said, well, stuff God, I think that's really nice stuff, I'm going to keep it. And then they went and they they attacked the little town of Ai, ruins very close to Bethel. Uh, Things went badly, turned out God knows when we do the wrong thing. This Achan, he he thought that he could get away with it. He thought, I can pretend I am a following God. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. And I'm going to do something behind your back. Because you'll never find out. God finds out. Uh, The point of that is not... He knows when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been good and bad. So be good for goodness sake. That's not the point of it. The point is, if you're following God, follow God. And we're going to hear today that things are even slightly different from what happened back then.
0: And then we heard they
1: went and they attacked I again... And uh, strategy from God, they, they just beat the whole town. They killed all of the inhabitants and we, we asked last week, and if you want to know the answer to this, go on the, on the website. We asked, should it embarrass us that God kills 12,000 people, including families? Not just the soldiers, but everyone in the town. No, it shouldn't. If you want the long answer, go on the website. And so this time, We're coming to the end of this initial spearhead campaign into the Promised Land. They move about 40 or 50 kilometers north from uh, Ayah Bethel into the region of Shechem, which is really difficult to pronounce, S-H-E-C-H-E-M, which is, uh, you know it's Shechem because we're told that they're going to Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, and if you want to know where Shechem is, you go stand between Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. That's where it is. So they go there. Uh, This is the region where Abraham built an altar. The patriarchs, this is where Jacob dug a well. In fact, this is the same place, Mount Gerizim, is where Jesus finds a woman at the well. You remember that story? And and she goes, yes, well, our our ancestor dug a well here. And Jesus says, yeah, yeah. And she says, well, we say we should worship here. And you Jews say you should worship in Jerusalem. Where's the right place? And Jesus answers her and says, the day's coming when, where true worshippers will worship in spirit and in truth. Uh, it's not about where you are, it's about it's about how you worship. That's a bit of a side story, except that's at Mount Gerizim. Now these two mountains, uh, back in Deuteronomy before Moses died, Deuteronomy 27-28, Moses said, when you go into the land, you're going to go to these two mountains, you're going to stand one on one side, half the people on one side, half the people on the other side, and then you're going to read out curses and blessings. And the people on Mount Ebal will, will, will read out the curses, and the people will agree to the curses, and the people on Mount Gerizim will, well, that's the blessing mountain. And so it makes sense that the Samaritans, who later came along, said, yes, Mount Gerizim obviously is a good mountain to because it's the mountain of blessing. That's the one you want. Amen? Rubbish. <laughs> I've lost my place completely. I got so caught up in it. Moses' uh, instructions, Joshua's, is fulfilling them here. Uh, It's renewing the covenant. And I thought before we get into it, we better just say, well, what is a covenant? It was common back in those days uh, for uh, if a nation conquered another nation, they would form a covenant with them. It's, it's kind of like a, a treaty, almost a, a peace treaty, but it makes clear that one nation is subservient to the other nation. Uh, and not only are they subservient, they're also under the protection of the nation that beat them. Uh, there's an example in, uh, I think it's in Kings, where David has beaten Moab, and what he does, he makes them hide under the ground, he gets a piece of string, he measures out, he measures out again, measures out again. Yeah, right, first two lot, dead, third lot, lived. He does that with all the people of Moab. He's beaten. They're prisoners of war. He has, it's horrible, but that's what they did back then. He is in charge, they had no doubt. But the third that survived, the third that survived, uh, David uh, forced to be his people. They lived under him as his subjects, and they paid him tribute. David had every right under the rules of that age to, to wipe out the Moabites, I think. They had rebelled against him. He, he was legally probably entitled to do what he wanted, but he spared some of them. And that reminds me about how all humanity have rebelled against God, and by rights, God has every right to wipe us all out. It's treason. If we commit treason by rights, everyone should be eradicated. And yet God comes and out of all of humanity, he chooses Israel as his people. He makes some promises to Abraham. Uh, he says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless the whole world through you. It's, it's not about I want to wipe out most of the world. It's about I want to bless most of the world, Abraham. And I'm going to use you to do it. And see, God's much better than King David. Um, Being a people under God's rule is the best that there is. And it comes a little bit later and God brings the law through Moses and says, this is what it means to be my people. Uh, Being God's people, well, we're supposed to live as God's people. We're supposed to live the way that God would live. His rules, His way. And there are consequences for not doing that. In Ezekiel chapter 18, we read about uh, King Zedekiah who's made a covenant with with this uh, nation of Babylon. Uh, If you know anything, it's not because he was a really strong, sharp, political mind that he made a covenant with Babylon. It's because Babylon was strong and Israel couldn't win. And so they made a covenant and then King Zedekiah goes, Well, you know what, I'm smart because if I go to the Egyptians and say, You guys come rescue me then I won't have to pay tribute. I won't be under the thumb of that person anymore. God sends a message through Ezekiel to King Zedekiah. He ah. You really think you're going to get away with that? You're going to get punished. That's what happens. If you don't stay true to your treaties, the party who is your boss will come and go, Ah, ah we had an agreement. There's consequences for not keeping to the agreement. There are many different kinds of agreements and covenants, uh, wills, arrangements uh, in the Bible. Many different kinds. Uh, the first one we've already seen is, is the covenant of promise. That's God going to Abraham. I promise that I'm going to do it. And, and what do you have to do, Abraham? Well, not much. The other one is the covenant of, and this is what it means to be my people. This is how you should live. And, and the one we're looking at today is uh, one of the big ones in the Old Testament is the mosaic covenant, it's when Israel arrived out of Egypt, they came to Mount Sinai Um, God says to them, I'm accepting you as my people, you're accepting me as, as your God I will be with you, I will bless you and here is what I want you to live like I want you to be a holy people I want people to look at you and go that's what God's like that's what God's like the way they act, the way they treat each other, the way they deal out justice, that's what God is like. This covenant here, that, that's the one that Joshua is renewing with Israel at Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal as they come into this land. It's a covenant between God and his people. God is central, his ark uh, symbolizing his presence Is there in the middle. All of the people are looking in at it. Uh, But it's a covenant between God and his people. And people here is a collective noun. Individuals form part of the people, but the agreement is with the people. For example, if we make a free trade arrangement with China, it's not a free trade arrangement with me as an individual. I only benefit from it if I benefit from it in as much as I am an Australian. It's the same with this. The agreement is not made with individuals so much as it is made with the nation. And it's a a people, a nation that spans tribes. We're told here several times, uh, all these 12 tribes, it spans genders, men and women, huge. Ages, young and old, children and adults, nationalities even. People from different Places, it's not just ethnic Israel that's standing around here recommitting themselves and going, We will follow this. This is all of those who came out of the the masses that came out of Egypt with them. Rahab's there. And this people spans generations. The arrangement isn't one that is made with this generation for now, it's one that is made for the people as a whole. And so, what the am I making sense to you guys? So what the Israelites here are doing is they're going and they are hearing this this agreement that God has made. They're in a new place. They're in this new land. And they are acknowledging that this covenant, this agreement includes them. And they're learning again what it means to be the people of God. And they're realizing that this agreement that God made with them at Sinai wasn't just for the desert. this This agreement is for Them now. This is their constitution. This is what defines them as a people, because they are under God's rule. Before reading it out to the people, Joshua copies all of these instructions out uh, onto some rocks. Uh, We're told they it's like plastered rocks, and then he copies them out, and there it would have taken a while, I would imagine. And I wonder if he did that because. After this event that we're reading about here, you could go and read what was written, if you could read. Or you could remember what you'd heard. The point is, there is no excuse. And there's no excuse because the people also agreed to it. You see, as Joshua read the blessings, those on Mount Gerizim would reply, Amen. Amen. And where's Anna Marie? Amen means? We say that. I say that every week at Super Club after we pray. And as he read the curses, the consequences for for not keeping the agreement, those on Mount uh, Ebel would reply? Excellent. Amen. We agree. And every single word of the covenant of the law of Moses is read out. This is not the Notes version. This is not the, the covenant for dummies that you can do in 24 hours and then you're full bottle on it. This is everything. This is the Ten Commandments. This is instructions regarding the tabernacle. This is instructions regarding accidental sins. This is instructions regarding sacrifices, social interactions, land laws, murder, sexual sins, greed, coveting, all of these things. Whatever is written in the, the book of the law is read out to the people here. And they all go... Ah, we know what it means to be the people of God. We know what God expects of us. We know everything that we need to know. And there are blessings and curses read out, but Joshua here, in our story here, focuses not on the curses, but on on the blessings. On how being God's people is the best option going. And if you read in Joshua 27, 28, read through the blessings and curses when you get a chance. Deuteronomy 28 speaks about the blessings of, of uh, towns. Your towns will be blessed. Your fields will be blessed. Your children will be blessed. Your crops will be blessed. Your herds will be blessed. Your flocks will be blessed. Your food will be best, blessed. Your everything will be blessed. You'll succeed in battle. Everything will be brilliant because I am with you. And you are always meant to live as my people. And if you live as my people, that's the way you're meant to be. That's, that's the best. Of course, even the blessings under this agreement do have conditions. Deuteronomy. I think I can find it now. Deuteronomy chapter 28. Verses 13 and 14 says this. If you listen to these commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today, and if you carefully obey them, the Lord will make you the head and not the tail, and you will always be on top and never at the bottom. You must not turn away from any of the commands I'm giving you today, nor follow after other gods and worship them. you notice the word there? If. If you do the right thing, life will go good. It's more complex than that, but that's, that's a lot of what is being said there. If you don't keep the agreement, it won't be a blessing to you, it will be a curse. God is God, he doesn't change, he is never unfaithful to his agreements. It's up to the Israelites to choose God. I hope you've been blessed as we've remembered this today. Because that's what God was saying to the Israelites. If you follow me good enough, life will be good. Did I follow instructions? You did. Well done. (laughs) The last time I'll do that. Isn't that draining and depressing? Isn't that horrible? Before reading the covenant um, out, Joshua, the first thing he does is builds an altar on Mount Ebal, on that curse mountain. Why does he build it on Mount Ebal, the curse mountain, and not on Mount Gerizim, the mountain of blessing? Perhaps because he knew that Israel deserved cursing. He knew that sin just it can't just be ignored. It demands that a price be paid for fail to, failing to be holy. The problem is that Israel doesn't come into this covenant as people who are equal with God. They come in as lawbreakers. And and God in his graciousness makes allowance for them. He he puts in place the sacrificial system where, where a price is paid and the price is blood. Death. And that covers over their sins. If you burn, if you make a chocolate pudding, can pour custard over it. And you put enough custard in that nobody will see that your chocolate pudding is burnt. Until they taste it. (laughs) (laughs) But that's what the sacrificial system is about in the Old Testament. It's about covering the sins. Hebrews tells us that the blood of animals can, can never actually erase the sins. It covers it over, them. The only thing that can remove guilt is blood, and death is necessary for what deserves death. And Israel starts this renewal ceremony. They start this ceremony with a sacrifice. And they do it again. And every year there's a sacrifice made for atonement. And they do it here, I think, because they're recognizing that a penalty must be paid for sin. Now, there's two types of sacrifices made here on Mount Ebal, and, and archaeology, there's lots of debate about whether they've actually found the site. Um, it's quite possible that they have. But the two types of sacrifices they made were fellowship offerings. Uh, these celebrate that God was with them, that, that they were forgiven. That I mean, you can't have fellowship with someone who, who cannot... Be in your presence, this is the amazing thing is that somehow God has made a way f- to be with them despite them, and they also make burnt offerings, which is about a pleasing aroma going to God, just going, God, you're incredible, you're amazing. And then they sit and then they read and and they hear and they say, Amen, and they 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 stand there and they go, We will be your people, God. And then they flop. And they fail. Have you ever noticed that as soon as you go, I will do this. Or I will not do this. What do you do? You do exactly the opposite of what Paul says. Uh, What I don't want to do, I do. And what I do, I don't do. And uh, ah, What a miserable man am I. But we'll come to Paul in a minute. You see, the problem with this covenant, this agreement, is that we cannot keep it. Repeated sacrifice is necessary because people just are sinful by nature. We we keep burning the custard and we have to put more custard on top. People are sinful by nature. And the law is something external to people. It's written on stones. It's spoken aloud. It's out there. What we need, what we need is a new covenant. If you've got your Bibles, just quickly flip over to Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. Paul writing here, he says, When the right time came, when the right time came, but when the right time, time came, God sent his son born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you're no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you're his child, God has made you his heir. What I want to point out to you from that is that Jesus, we all know, we, we've heard Old Testament, New Testament, Old Covenant, New Covenant. Did you know Jesus was born under the Old Covenant? That's what Paul just says. He was born under the law. He came to those under the law. He was born under the law. And, and when Jesus taught, he didn't lessen the law. He didn't go, oh, I know you can't keep it, so let's, let's make it a bit easier for you. No, do you know what? Jesus is so irritating. You know what he does? He gets them up on the mountain and he sits them down and he goes, right, you've heard that it says, don't commit adoption. I say, don't even look at another woman with lust. You've heard that it said, do not commit murder. I know some of you struggle with that. Let's make it easier. I say to you, if you look at someone with hatred in your heart, you've already committed murder.
0: And the crowds are sitting there going, oh
1: Jesus says the law requires perfection. You see, properly understood, and I dare you to show me that Jesus didn't understand the law properly. Properly understood, the law is impossible to keep. Well, that's not true. Properly understood, the law is impossible for us. Because the law requires perfection and because we, by nature, were sinful people. You see, this covenant that the Israelites were standing there going, yes, we agree, we agree, we agree. They couldn't keep it. It, it showed something of what God wanted for them, but they couldn't keep it. And, and the law couldn't deliver it because the people were sinful people and they would constantly fall. And yes, the law had this thing going, yeah, we'll cover over the sin, but, but you know, if you keep pouring custard into your pudding bowl, eventually things are going to get messy. That's not a permanent solution. People by nature are sinners. They're prone to stumble. Only God can keep God's law perfectly. Have a look at Galatians 3, verse 19. Why was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. The promise is, I'm going to do something. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. God gave his law through angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and people. Now, a mediator is helpful if more than one party must reach an agreement. Uh, But God, who is one, did not need to use a mediator when he gave his promise to Abraham. Is there a conflict between God's law and God's promise? No. If the law could give us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. If. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin, so we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we, placed, we were placed under God by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so as to speak, until the way of faith, of trust, was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Jesus Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. That's putting the custard over the burnt bit until something can be done about the burnt bits. And and now the way of faith has come. We no longer need the law as our guardian. You see, what Paul is saying is that the law is very good at making us realize that we're horrible, sinful people. That we cannot keep it. But the law can never make sinners be like God. The point of the law is not to make good people. Which is why it's sad when we hear Christians saying, you know what, we need to bring godly principles. We need people to to obey the law of God. And if only they obeyed the law of God, then everyone would be wonderful and good. It doesn't work. Because people by nature are sinners. We're born that way. The point of the law is to make us realize that we cannot keep it. It's to drive us to realize that we need forgiveness. Why do you think Jesus is always amping things up? Why do you think Jesus is always amping things up and saying, no, 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 it's much harder than you think? You see, God burns in anger against sin because God is holy. But he has also made a way for us to be saved. And this old covenant that the people of Israel were, were agreeing to and joining themselves into, this, this was looking forward to it. It was like a, you know when you make a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy of a It was like that. There was something real there, but it's not the real thing. It's not the ultimate thing. And the way of God is a new covenant, a new agreement that Hebrews 8.3 says has made the old agreement obsolete. We don't preach that verse very often. The old covenant is obsoleted. Like, feel free to use something that's been obsoleted, but why would you use something obsolete? It's not going to do the job even. Not only obsolete, it's broken. Well, it's not broken, we're broken to it. As with the old, this new covenant is made between two parties. It's made between God and his people. Except that actually it's made between God and God because it's made between God and Jesus. His people are the body of Christ. And the only reason we join into this is not that we have an agreement one-on-one with God. It's if we become united with Jesus. And if we are in Him, if we're with Him, if we trust Him, then we get the benefits of that. We, it's like, I'm an Australian, so I get the benefits of the free trade agreement. If I'm a Christian, I, I'm part of that covenant. By, by fact that I follow Jesus, that I, that I trust Jesus. And this is the covenant that Jesus died to sin and was raised to life again. What's amazing is he died to sin even though he never sinned. And when someone becomes a Christian, it's as if they as if they died with Jesus, rose with Jesus, Romans 6, and, and had been given a new life that is dead to sin. It's dead to sin. And that's what baptism represents. It, it's a dying, it's it's a new birth, it's a it's 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 having who we are, our old nature, prone to sin, sinful, 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 being ripped out and dying. And a new one, we've got Jesus' uh, 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 CD of all special effects available after the service. Um, what do we need to do? Well, what do you need to do to be part of the free trade agreement with China? Nothing. Be a citizen of Australia. Citizen of Jesus trust him and, and the Bible says if you say to Jesus God I agree with you that I'm a rotter he says I agree that you agree with me that, I'm a, that you're a rotter and I'm gonna I've done something about it look here brand new heart brand new nature simple Ugh, icky gone it's dead it's killed it I did it all 2000 years ago new nature new heart I'll give you a new heart a soft heart not a hard heart this is what God says he says I've done it It's finished. Just trust me. No no having to prove yourself. No having to come back all the time going, Oh, oh God, I'm a sinner. God looks at you and goes, Sorry, did you just say that you were a sinner? Let's let's go over this again. You trusted me. I killed your sinful nature. You now have... My nature living inside of you. Go over again. What are you? I'm a sinner. I'm a Christian. Who still sits. But I'm a Christian. You see, the difference between the old covenant that Israel was renewing. Is that under the new covenant, there is no more a Mount Gerizim sorry, a Mount Ebel for us to stand on. Because our covenant, the Mount Ebel, the Mount of Cursing, was a mountain called Calvary. And the curses were read out, and they weren't just read out, they were replied. And they will never be applied again because they have already been applied. Every time we fail to live up to the way that God wants us to live, He looks at us and He goes, "I've already forgotten that. I've dealt with that. It's not like I have poured blood custard. Custard. It's got to custard. It's not like I poured custard to cover the chocolate pudding. I've poured super duper amazing custard. Perfect custard." The blood of Jesus doesn't just cover sins. It eradicates them. Isn't that amazing? Wouldn't it be wonderful if you had custard that did that as well? Fort chocolate pudding, of course. Our being blessed, unlike this covenant in Joshua, where there are conditions, if you do good enough, if you keep to this, Which we don't. We can't. Under the new covenant. Being blessed has not got any conditions. Every spiritual blessing is ours in Christ Jesus. The father has forgiven and forgotten everything that we have done. Will do and are doing And uh, I was maybe telling Mark, I'm reading a really good book at the moment, and uh, something I read in there, we often speak about God convicting us of sin. Sorry, how are we going to pray? The Father convicting us of sin. Do you know what? If we're Christians, the Holy Spirit doesn't even do that. And you're looking at me going, oh. I didn't realize this, there's only one verse in the whole Bible where Holy Spirit and convict are in the same verse, where they're put together. And that's in John, chapter 16, verse 8. We'll quickly fly over there. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, chapter 16, verse 8. It says this. "Um, If I do go away, which he did, then I will send him to you, this this advocate, it is best for you that I go away, verse 7, because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I, go, if I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict. Ha ha! The Holy Spirit will convict who? He will convict the world of sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. <laughs> is. You notice what's interesting there? The Holy Spirit convicts, yes, but it convicts the world. And it is an advocate to us, a counselor to us. It still whispers in our ear and goes, Yeah, who are you? Know what? That's, do you think that's the one you should go? But he never whispers in our ears and goes, you know what? You're a sinner. He whispers in our ears and goes, You know what? There's sin lurking inside of you, but that's not who you are. Paul says in Romans that, he sees this doing what he doesn't do, what he doesn't want to do, and not doing what he does want to do, and he says, "When what he does, it's not him doing it; it's sin living inside of him that does it." Yes, we sin, but not because we are sinful by nature. We have been made new. We died to sin, and and uh, sin is still a spiritual power that's working inside this body of ours. <clears throat> Let me draw us to a close here. Wow. Um, Under the old covenant that Joshua was renewing, the law of God, God's instructions, was an external reality. What God wanted was out there, and sin was in there. Sin defined us. Under the new covenant, if we trust Jesus, we have this spiritual surgery, and and sin is still in our body, but, but it's not what defines us. Our new nature is God's nature. It's from God. It's Christ in us. The Holy Spirit in us that wants to please God. Sin is still part of us, but, but it's an external part of us, if that makes sense to you. What made the old covenant useless was that sin ran our lives. What makes the new covenant incredible is that everything's been done by Jesus. And the Holy Spirit whispers in our in our lives, saying, won't you follow me? There's no conditions. If you don't, then, then I'll be angry with you and you won't get to heaven and you won't be with me. Forget that. It's done. That's the new covenant. It's done. But the spirit whispers and going, come on, be who you are. We today stand between Calvary and the return of Jesus. Jesus, as I said, took the curse. And all that awaits now is the blessings, and we're already getting those. Jesus has already said, Amen. I agree to that. He bore the curse completely. And right now, Ephesians 1.3, every spiritual blessing is ours. Now, you might be sitting there going, wow, that's, that's fantastic. That's amazing, Nick. But, but you don't understand because we have to do the right thing. You know what? The Bible's clear. Follow God. <coughs> Live who you are. But you know what the even more amazing thing is? I'm convinced that there's nothing in all of creation, either you know, height or depth, angels or demons, powers, sword, family, I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Joshua, they they came to the land and they said, "We follow you God. We will, we will do it. We will do it. We will do it. We will do it." And they took a break and they stopped. God says, so "You know what? I've done it. Trust me."